Well, I, I think people have really rediscovered that um, in the lockdown because there wasn't a lot else to do. And you'd see so many people out walking and um, doing things with their families. And I think, and also you want the young younger generation to um, learn about parks and get off their screens and, and you know, um, discover these um, wild areas that have all this beautiful forests and and bush and and um, because they're the ones that we want to encourage to look after after it in the future as well. everyone that was sarah hillary i'm matt raymond i'm eugene bingham and this is dirt church radio interesting conversations with interesting runners chorus watches apparently they've got a new model coming out that lasts 463 years in full gps mode that's that's a bit longer than their last one but not by much because they just they, that's what they do they last and last apparently this watch will give you daily affirmations it will count your steps for you um it'll align your chakra it's got vert in there no it doesn't but look chorus watches are really good they've got amazing battery life is the vertex like 60 hours in full mm. GPS, gps or something like that do you remember your first ever gps watch it was like like that glove that Thanos wore and it burned your hand and it had a battery life of one hour. Mm, and you had to run with your hand in the ear. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Chorus watches aren't like that. No. But if you go to chorus.co.nz, uh, you get 10% off with the code LOCAL. And Chorus watches have been a longtime sponsor of Dirt Church Radio and we love them. So chorus.co.nz. You know what else is local, Matt? No. Wild Things. So Wild Things is as local as it gets in New Zealand, isn't it? It is. And I was I was actually talking to uh, Wild Things impresario, Malcolm Law, yes. the other day, and talking about how, at the moment, um, community is really important. Yeah. And it seems like Wild Things is really important to a lot of people. Well, it fosters community, doesn't it? That's what it's all about. It it's also about things like, you know, their amazing trail directory. Yes. You can, they're now figuring out a way of setting, of chasing FKTs on trails. Huh. Yeah. So it's for the grunty trails and right. they're, they're, they're working out in the background with this amazing computer technology or possibly, you know, I don't know, using, um, uh, no, I don't know where I'm going with that. But I mean, what my thing is, what's a, okay, so it's a grunt factor of 15 or more. What's one grunt? It's like a and, grunt. And do you get like, uh, do you get like a semi grunt or a demi grunt, or well, a he no, I think hemi demi semi grunt? You have to take the full grunt to be right. able to so, qualify. So fifteen of them. So some of these trials, so the trials that are, have a grunt factor of fifteen or more, they're going right. to have an FKT availability, uh, if you call it that. Yeah. Um, but to be able to qualify, you know, to register an FKT, you need to be a paid up member of of uh, Wild Things, a VIP member, uh-huh. and and you need to sync your Strava account to it. Well, the Strava account, you can do that yourself. But with the VIP membership, we're here to help, aren't we? 
Yeah, we are. Yeah. So if you we use the code DCR2020, you can get 15 months of Wild Things membership for the 12 price months. of 12. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because and maths. If, and if anyone can explain to me uh, what uh, a unit, maybe Gareth Morris could, what one grunt is, please do write yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm at room 413 of the Hilton in central Auckland. Uh, just address it to Matt Raymond and uh, send it right in and you get a prize. <laughs> That's some bubble. Yep. Wildthings.club forward slash register. We've got a jingle for Further Faster. We should probably just play that. Which one is it? It's the Further Faster jingle. Mm-hmm. Do you know it was Badger the Dog's 40th birthday last week? Oh, we should have had a happy birthday jingle. Yeah, yeah. Further Faster is New Zealand's foremost indie outdoors store, and in Level 3, Rocky, Badger and Dan are back in store filling orders and doing contactless pickups, as well as sending things out uh, across Hill and Dale with the good men and women of New Zealand Post. We love Further Faster. They have supported us for a long time, and they're amazing, independent outdoors retailer. Go to furtherfaster.co.nz and check them out. They've got something like Further Faster, they're in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jack is delicious Go to Further Faster now Oh, Further Faster, they're in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jack is delicious Go to Further Faster now Ditchitch Radio It's episode 93, Eugene It certainly is, we have made it We've nearly made it through lockdown Nearly, yep. Yeah. By the time this 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 will come out, the day that uh, Aotearoa level will two, go from level, level three, Eve. yeah, yeah, to level two. Can't Pretty wait. special. Yeah, I feel a bit overwhelmed by it all, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's been a remarkable time, hasn't it? And it's you know we've there was a lot of sort of rallying talk from the prime minister when she announced the. Uh, Called, you know, the, the fact that we were going to go to level two, and and rightly so. You know, we've we've we haven't won the war, but we've certainly won a good battle, haven't we? And yep. it's been tough. Lots of people have really suffered. Um, you know, people have died as well. But so it's not without casualties. But you know, we've done well, New Zealand. Yeah, good on you. Don't don't bugger it up now. Don't bugger it up now. Uh, but it does mean. Do you reckon we can go for a run together this weekend, uh, Matt? Let's go for a run together yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. I can't either. Yeah. And I can't wait for this conversation to come out because, uh, and I can only speak for myself, Sarah Hillary, I was a complete stuttering wreck throughout Let, it. Well, let's face it. Before we called her, we were just a gibbering wreck, weren't we, the two of us? <laughs> because she's bit. so special and she's a wonderful person and it was so generous to have Sarah Hillary on the line. Um, you know, thanks to Sean Collins from Lactic Turkey, who quite rightly gave us a hurry along, saying, "Why haven't you had Sarah on the show yet?" and and provided an introduction. And you know, it was a wonderful conversation. And yeah, what a gem. And for I mean, speaking, you know, we we have a global audience, so speaking to uh, those outside of. Uh, New Zealand, Sarah Hillary, her father was Sir Edmund Hillary, the first man to climb Everest. So her family has a strong, um, strongly rooted in the outdoors adventure. Her brother was a mountaineer as well. Um, 
and Sarah's run several ultramarathons, loves the trails and like very, very connected to the Waitakere Ranges. So mm. had a w- wonderful conversation with her. Yeah, yeah. And a- spent and, a lot of time and in- principal conservator at, at, of art at Auckland Art Gallery yeah. as well. Yeah, so we talk about the importance of trail running and art to yeah. this world that we go into, the world that we're going to get a chance to kind of almost recreate, aren't we, as yeah. we step out of uh, lockdown. Um, yeah, so, and, and a bit about Nepal. She spent a lot of time in Nepal, which is, of course, full of trails. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot lot that's really interesting in this conversation. Hey, thanks for the feedback from last week. I do, you know, I do want to say a special shout out to Andrew McDowell, who I think was the only person who recognised my classic dad joke. See, I didn't get it at all. I just went, what yeah. you said, colour runs have died out. Yeah. Ah, uh, see, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but D-Y-E to anyone. I know, but you know, you, when you're explain, explaining of... is losing, isn't it? So anyway, uh, but thanks to Chris Hope, who had some great insights, didn't he? And look, I, uh, things developed a little bit after we spoke to Chris in that we'd all thought that level two for events would mean uh, uh, less than, uh, put a cap on of, of 500. And of course, that mm. when they announced uh, last week, the, the restrictions of level two that came down to 100, which has really made things very tight for uh, trail running events, hasn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Let's face it. And, and so that's sort of put a lot of you know people like Sean Collins in a, in a really difficult position. Um, but hopefully some lobbying is going on, you know, and perhaps you know, people might want to help their voice be heard as well. Uh, there's a petition going around and things, but... Um, yeah, let's let's uh, support race organisers when we can and in the way we can. I think I'm trampling all over stuff you should know here, so I'll just shut up. Of course, you've been doing the Ruth Croft plan, Matt. Tell us yes. about it. How's it been going? Well, first of all, in case anyone didn't listen last week, tell us about what it is. So we, we've partnered with Vert Run, which is an online training platform for trail and ultras, and they've just launched a brand new training plan, which is made by Ruth Croft. Um, and primarily it's for athletes who live in the city training for an ultramarathon. And I'm lucky enough not to live in a city, but it's a, it's fantastic. Um, we, I had my first week last week and it was a nice, easy week of running actually. Um, but I mu- must admit what I struggled with was the structure because since being in pandemic, I, I, with work being so structured, I haven't been very structured with my running. So one of the, I guess the major, um, benefits was getting back into some form of structure. Um, and it's really cool. It's, it's a lot of, um, a lot of drills like strides and like almost wind sprints and stuff like that, which was really, really cool, which Uh I'd not done before. And as I, um, you know, sort of Saturday's workout sort of knocked me around a little bit. So, you know, 12, sprints up a very steep piece of trail that, that you know like as I think I text you like um I can feel every fiber of my quads like yeah. that was that was fantastic but yeah it's exciting and it's it's re- certainly helped cuz you know the every everyone's stress is sort of continuing in in lots of ways so it's really 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 helped yeah so yeah and on, and on that i mean and this isn't sort of uh advertorial but they have given us a code, and if you want to get ten US dollars off the Ruthcroft plan, which is a fourteen-week plan, just use the code Dirt Church Ten. I don't know might be a good idea to 
inject a bit of structure, a bit of fun back into your running. Yeah, I'm keen and bit I'm super excited for this week's training. Bit of Ruth Croft secret sauce. That's right. Yeah. And and yeah. And generally, yeah. generally, how's your week been? It's been another week in lockdown <laughs> in healthcare. Mm. <laughs> I'm taking half a week's holiday this week, so I, I definitely I, I do need a bit you of need a need it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I woke up really early thinking about work this morning, and that's not normally me. So I thought oh, I actually need a break. Yeah. So yeah. How, How have you been, man? Yeah. Good. Cause, sorry. Just quickly, how's your sister doing? She's better. Yeah. Good. She's still sick as sick as will get out, but she's she's better. Yeah. She's a, but it's a hell of a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm seeing a whole. You know, you do. You see a whole lot of stuff. Oh, it only affects the elderly. Oh, I don't know anyone who's had coronavirus. Oh, and and I think well, that's a. It doesn't only affect the elderly. And b. Um, think yourself lucky that we've actually done this all together and, and come through relatively and not completely unscathed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, it's funny old times, isn't it? Funny old times, um, you know, in lots of ways. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that we have managed so far, and I'm scrambling around looking to touch some wood here, uh, managed to do as well as we have. And, you know, Australia's done pretty well as well. So in our part mm. of the world, we've, we've done pretty good at fending off this virus, but it doesn't go to sleep, does it? And we are all going to have to be on guard. So that's going to cause a bit of natural anxiety. I had a bit of a stressful time at the supermarket yesterday. Everyone seemed to be a bit mad max on it. But, um, you know, it's strange old times. Running-wise, running, running wise, I, I had a week of, of trying to get back into a bit of base building. I actually dug out some of my old running diaries and things. I've got sort of awesome. scraps, scraps of paper over the years that I've scrawled stuff in and, you know, diaries and, and books that I've written in, in the margins. And it, it was kind of fun, actually, doing a bit of a walk down memory lane and, and, and seeing some of the training schedules that I've, I've stuck to and, and written up over the years. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to... Getting into a bit more base building, I think it basically comes down to spending some time, regular, consistent training for a couple of months to get me back to where I want to be. So, yeah. I Two things. I mean, first thing, you know, on your run the other day, I thought it was really aesthetically amazing that you managed to dress yourself to match a bridge. I know. Thanks to I mean, Sealy and, and Scott running. <laughs> that was amazing. You think, like, that, you think that was an accident? No. <laughs> It's like that Keith Hearing painting where he painted the whole room and himself. But well, um, usually, usually I wear. Usually, when I'm doing my, it wasn't a long run, but you know, a longer run, I'll wear. Uh, there's a montane top that I wear from further faster, and it was. It's a. I like running in it for the you know for the longer runs because it's nice and comfortable. But I did. I thought, oh, I'm going to be going over the yellow bridge. I've got that Scott running shirt that's going to color coordinate with the bridge. Hello. So you know, don't call. They don't call me a fashionista for no reason. <laughs> they never have. I guess as well, thinking about you know, you talk about you know getting back into consistent running. You did your first hundred mile race in February, yeah, and we're only just in May, mm. and we've been through a global pandemic. Mm. So you've had a bit on. So I'm not surprised that your running's been. Sort oh of yeah, and I, sorry, show. I'm not not trying to beat myself up or anything about I it. Don't I don't think you are. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, you know, of course, it didn't quite. You know, the path out of Tarawera didn't go as I thought it might. But to be fair, I didn't really know what to expect. So 
I, I certainly didn't pick this, <laughs> but I, but I didn't know, but I really didn't know what it would be like after this. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I thought one possibility might just be a screaming wreck at the end of it and never want to run another meter in my life. Um, but, and then, and then another part of me thought, oh, cool, I'm going to have legs to be able to do some speed work and it's going to be cool and I'm going to be really fast. But, you know, that didn't work out either. And yeah, so the pandemic in a way, from a running point of view, for me personally, hasn't probably been a bad thing. It's just given me a chance to get some niggles behind me and and um, not take things too seriously. And um, yeah, so I'm 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 excited. I'm looking forward to the next few months. I mean, you might have seen on the. I know you've been doing a lot of sort of sort of nightly CrossFitty type workouts with your boy yeah and, and the other the other week on social media someone asked the question who would win between me and you in an arm wrestle hey uh kieran who's our editor and my son brought that to my attention <laughs> he said look 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 matt's calling you out i'm not calling you out at all it was luke mccallum called us both out he's trying to goad us into fighting and um i said that that would be horrible because we'd both be so apologetic as it was happening. Yes, yes, I did like your answer, and and of course your your ultimate answer was absolutely correct that you just completely <laughs> wiped the floor with me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I like that idea of us going. No, 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 you, no, you go. Look, I, I, no, you, you take that side of the table. I'll take. No, no, I'm sorry. You take this side of it. Anyway, uh, so no, that ha- I have enjoyed doing that actually with with Kieran. Uh, you know, every night at five thirty, um, or most nights at five thirty. Um, been heading out to do some, yeah, basically some CrossFitty stuff, and it's been good fun. Yeah. Have you re- have you renamed your garage like the, <laughs> pa- the the pain cave or the pie box or something? No, the no, Bingham box. Yeah, we haven't done that, but um, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it, and it's been good a good sort of bonding with him as well. He doesn't enjoy running at all, um, so it's yeah, it's it's a way that we've been able to share some exercise. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, hit the red button. All right. Okay, so as I said, I kind of trampled all over this earlier, but look, even as we make our way out of restrictions that have been brought on because of COVID-19, there's still a long way to go for parts of the economy, and amongst the hardest sets are event organisers, and that's something we talked about with, with Chris Hope. But there are people that every single person, I'd bet, listening to this podcast has to thank for hours and hours and hours of fun over the years. There are often small businesses who count on these events. There are a bunch of good sorts who we all owe a lot to. And in New Zealand, at least for the moment, things are a bit bumpy, aren't they? You know, under level two, the maximum number of people who can gather an outdoor event um, is 100. There were hopes it was going to be 500, which is what it was when we were briefly in level two before, and apologies for anyone who doesn't know about this level system, but we had a four-level four system, basically, which we're down to level two. We spent four weeks at level four, four just about five weeks at level four. Anyway. So this has been an enormous blow to a lot of people, people who are such a huge part of our community. They bring us together. They bring us joy. They slog our guts out for, for us, don't they? And Matt, mm. you've, you know, you're involved in, in organising races as well, so I don't need to preach to you. I don't need to preach to anyone. We all know this. There is a petition going around to get their voice heard, and and at some stage, you know, soon they're going to be able to get up and running again, and that's when we get a chance to to help them out, um, sign up for their races, be there for each other, and and be there for them. I guess is what I wanted to say. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. So this week we're going to bring you an extended gratis whenever. We get lots of lovely messages in our emails, it's fair to say, and they often get us in the feels. But this one, well, kind of really speaks to quite a lot, doesn't it, Matt? And yeah. so we thought we'd just bring it to you this week. So, you know, Greatest Whenever is the part of the show where we ask you to write in to us and tell us your greatest whenever. And it doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block, but something that really sticks with you and you can send it to us, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com, and you can read them on our website as well as hear them, hear them on the podcast. So do you want to take this one away, Matt? Yep. So this is from Pip Guthrie, and she says, Thank you so much for doing what you do. I've always thought your podcast got its name from the dirt of the trails we run on being the church we worship at. I hope that's not too blasphemous, and that's pretty much bang on. Uh, it's bang. It's it, exactly it, what it it's is. It's exactly yeah. bang on. So here we go. Like many of your listeners, I've been pondering on my greatest run ever. I'm not a fast runner. Nor am I an ultramarathoner. I was born with hydrocephalus and I wasn't allowed to be active when I was a kid. I lacked coordination to the point my parents joked I couldn't walk along a curb without falling off. I only discovered running in my 30s and only after being diagnosed with three autoimmune diseases, Addison's, hypothyroidism and pernicious anemia and rapid secession. 11 years ago, brain surgery resulting from the hydrocephalus left me with vestibular issues, which took a couple of years to come back from. And like many of us, I've had a series of running injuries that kept me returning to the sidelines. All that to say, I've faced a lot of hurdles and never really felt like I've been able to reach my full potential as a runner. Last year, things were on the up. I was still very slow and unfit, but I ran the Good Home Trail half in New Plymouth, then Tarawera 22 and finished up that with the 22k at UTA. UTA's finish line ruined me for smaller races forever. I was <laughs> thinking about perhaps signing up for the Topo 50k in 2020. All that went out the window when at the start of September I started experiencing constant nausea. Over the next few months I lost 10 kilos, which I needed to lose, but not that way. My GP and the staff at Wellington Hospital were fabulous. After blood tests, x-rays, an ultrasound and a CT scan, right before Christmas I was diagnosed with sarcoidosis, another autoimmune disease, in my lungs. Well that explained why the further steps felt so damn hard. By some miracle over the Christmas break, I started to feel a bit better and my blood calcium levels returned to normal. I started getting back into some small runs again. While I was sick, my women's running group here in Wellington, shout out to Duck Patton and the Jog Squad, had signed up for the Ring of Fire Relay. I didn't join a team as I didn't think I would be well enough. Now even with a flare-up of runner's knee, I was feeling well enough to run more and the old FOMO was kicking in. I still hadn't run anywhere near 24k, which I'd need to do to be on the relay team. In fact, I still hadn't run anything in double digits, but I figured I could just walk if need be, and hey, what was the worst thing that could happen? When one of the teams needed a replacement runner for their third leg, I said I'd take their place. Now, by now, <laughs> by now, we all know what ended up happening. As the weeks ticked by, COVID-19 reared its head and Ring of Fire ended up being cancelled with a few weeks to go. Duck and our other trainers knew we were all disappointed, so at short notice pulled together a local adventure as a last chance to get together. On the day of the Ring of Fire, we met up at Burden's Gate at the end of Eastbourne, broke up into small groups of three to four runners and set off on a row gain. I teamed up with three other back-of-the-pack ladies and with Duck, we all jogged the four kilometres along Flat Gravel Road to the trail that climbed steeply up the hill to the lighthouse, our first checkpoint. We moved slowly along chatting, enjoying the absolute sublime weather Wellington had put on for us that day and walking the steeper hills. At the lighthouse, we took our first group photo, then set off again for the second checkpoint with a panoramic view over the harbour at the edge of a cliff. 
Second photo down, we ran the hills towards a hidden lake being charged at by two startled hares along the way. Then we climbed again to a third checkpoint where, with a view of the swans swimming on the quiet lake, one of our team pulled out a sheet of paper and read us a poem, The Lake of Beauty by Edward Carpenter. Now, you have to remember that this was in the days before we went into lockdown. Everyone was full of uncertainty and a degree of fear about what was ahead of us. We were all wondering about what would happen to our families, our jobs, our lives in the weeks to come. Here we were on this beautiful day in this beautiful place with these amazing women listening to the poem that spoke of being quiet and calm and the beauty of the world. It would be a hard person who didn't shed at least a few tears. Once the poem was over, we stood silently for a few minutes before we pulled ourselves back together and headed slowly back down the 6 kilometers to the start. We finished with 18 kilometers under our belt, 11k more than I had been able to run in over 6 months. We were there to cheer on the rest of the teams as they all returned, with some having ticked off more checkpoints and run nearly 30k. Once we were all back, we shared a low-key social distancing picnic, including some sneaky bubbles. Mm. I was feeling a little euphoric, having not at all anticipated how this day would turn out. And I'm so grateful to our trainers for organising the perfect activity for us when everything was being turned upside down. Not long after, we were in level four, and we haven't been able to run together again, although we've continued to check in via our Facebook group. This was my greatest run ever, not just because I'd comfortably run so much further than my recent health should have allowed, and obviously not because I'd run some mega distance, but because I got to spend it with some really amazing women who all shared a heightened awareness of the significance of the day. In a time of uncertainty, we were able to come together one last time to celebrate running and each other. Running has given me so much and some amazing adventures, and I'm looking forward to the day when we can all run together again. Pip Guthrie. Wow. Pip, thank you. That's exactly what we needed to hear right now. Absolutely. And so thank you for being so generous and telling that story. And yeah, I'm speechless. I I like how she, (laughs) it's like if you've overcome like sarcoidosis and you get runner's knee, (laughs) you're like, whatever, knee, shut up. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Ooh, right. Wow. What a what a what a greatest run ever. That really has sort of. It, I guess it's that thing, isn't it? And 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 it's germane to the guest. I mean, what Sarah talks about as well. It's it's very often not where we run. It's who we run with, and why we run that make things special. Hey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So moving on to our main event of the evening. Um, we spoke to Sarah Hillary, who is a stalwart of uh, Auckland Trail Running. Um, she, like we said at the top, she comes from, you know, a very famous New Zealand family. Um, was, as she says, born into adventure, you know, um, and has been, you know, tied to Nepal um, for, for many reasons and also is you know, tied to the art world in New Zealand and and worldwide. She's the principal conservator at the Auckland Art Gallery and has done some amazing things, you know, um, uncovering fakes, restoring stolen works of art and just generally being a, a, I think she was described as a heroine of the arts. So um, we couldn't be more thrilled to speak to Sarah Hillary. Radio. Okay, we're on the line with Sarah Hillary. Kia ora, Sarah. How are you doing? Oh, kia ora, Matt. I'm, I'm really good, thanks. Hey, thank you so much for coming on Dirt Church Radio. Um, 
I guess first off, you know, we've been asking everyone this question over the last sort of six to eight weeks. How's lockdown been treating you? Um, well, I, I feel very privileged to have had a, a lovely lockdown because um, I'm, you know, I've got a employment. I've, my employers have been very um, encouraging and I've had good projects to work on at home and I've been able to go out walking. It's been beautiful weather. And, um, of course, I've missed my family, but, um, no, I, I found it really interesting, actually. It's certainly, yeah, that's the word, isn't it? An interesting process for, sorry, my dog's howling in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I've really enjoyed seeing the lack of traffic and all the families out and young children riding bikes on the road. It's, it's been wonderful. It's interesting, isn't it? Just even, you know, over a short space of time, how much the pedestrians sort of reclaimed the streets and reclaimed the roads, people out walking, people running. It's just been amazing. Yeah, no, it has been really good. It's really good to see. And if only we can keep that going a bit longer. Absolutely. More pedestrianism, if that's a word I say. So look, Sarah, we've, you know, you've been around at events and you spoke at the start of the Hillary Trail uh, events for years now. What's how did you get involved with trail running? Um, well, I, I started running very reluctantly. I, I worked it out. It was about twenty years ago, and I was I started doing road running. Uh, a friend of mine, Joe Drayton, encouraged me to run, even though I had always hated it. And um, but anyway, in the end, I found myself doing a Cathay Pacific Calf Marathon. And it was really, um, you know, I found it very hard. I had totally impractical shoes. They were really uncomfortable. And I remember towards the end, Joe was sort of encouraging, encouraging me to keep going. And there were, I, I was apparently run, running, but walkers were overtaking me. <laughs> so um, it was pretty slow. But once I got to the end, I just thought I've just got to do more of this. And then I met various people who did trail running, Um like Chris Christensen, who was working for Total Sport, and then Barbara Ella McCarthy, who um, encouraged me to come along and run with um, Girls on Top, um, which was an, who went night running. And, um, and that was great fun, going out in the dark, so um, in the bush. Where was, and where was I, that? When I first, sorry, I'm sort of rambling, but no. when I first started, I had the most terrible head torch, so it was I could barely see what I was doing, but um, it was really fun. <laughs> I, I, I remember Girls on the the organisation Girls on Top, and um, was it, that was out in the Waitakere Ranges, was it? Well, they went all over the place. They did go out to the Waitakere's. Um, sometimes we even went to uh, Rangitoto at night or um, Waiheke or um, there were a whole um, Okura walkway. You know, there were a whole lot of different places. We seemed to drive quite a distance to get started for 6.30. And, you know, it was pitch black in the in winter. But um, it was always so exciting when you get there Um you know, you you feel a bit reluctant when, when you leave work. You think, oh, no. <laughs> but then, you know, once you get out that sort of the thing you were talking about, I think it was last week, about the 10-minute rule where, you know, it didn't even take 10 minutes. Once you get out there and you're running, um, it's always so exhilarating and so much fun. 
It sure is, isn't it? It's that's the thing is is that reluctance soon melts away as soon as you're out there, yeah. especially with especially with a group of friends. And it sounds like running has been a, a social thing for you as well. Oh, definitely, it's been very social because I mean, unlike many of your um, guests, uh, I'm not a sort of champion runner at all. I'm a sort of plodder and um but my my family did remind me that I am a bit of a champion because I have had a streak of um wins in my category oh so (laughs) which is um, there's not very many people left in my category so (laughs) so when you say streak how far back does that go Oh look, I think I think I've had a few, quite a few ones for a few years now, <laughs> but I'm sure that it won't last long. There'll be a few um, people creeping into my category, and um, <laughs> we're all over. But that's a, that's the thing about the age categories is you keep going up, don't you? So um, you'll be able to escape oh, well, them again. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, <laughs> I think they most give up at a certain point. <laughs> the, uh, you... So far, they go. Hearing you talk about the the Cathay, that was was it that handicap race that you all st- uh, start in a staggered way? Was that the one down at the? Oh, I, um, I don't remember the staggered start. It was, but it did start. Um, uh, it did. It started along the waterfront, yeah. and then um, it went round round the bays and round then round the back along Keeper Road yeah. and um, drive kind of thing. Yeah, I think and, that. I think that might have been. Um, I think Garth Barfoot was involved in organising that for a while as well. It was. A, it was sort of a one of those events that was on the calendar, and it was big, and it seemed to have got a lot of people into running. So it's interesting to hear that it was part of your running entry as well. And there was one year where it was cancelled because there was a ti- tidal wave alert or something. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. a few a few of us just um, ran it anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, in terms of, and I guess in terms of you sort of coming later to to running and and, and trail running, it's the word interesting is the wrong word, but I mean your family name is on one of the most iconic trails in New Zealand, the the Hillary Trail, and and you've had a connection to it, you know, through Sean and 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 lactic turkey it must be incredibly special for you and also quite bittersweet now that it's it's closed um yes definitely um i i mean i've been out in the waitakere since i was a baby obviously because we've got um family land out there and my grandparents had land um so yes i've i've i still dream about the waitakere's and all the tracks and um, have had so much fun out there, and I was also um, did a lot of running with the Huia Road Bush Runners, um, which um, so I have sort of I felt like I'd done virtually every track with them. Um, so I do think it's it's been very sad not having any access, well, virt- very little, um, and and it was it was wonderful to have that opportunity to do the Hillary Ultra as well. I. I um, a couple of times I was at Taylor and Charlie with Barbarella on that, which was incredible, um, incredible experience. Yes, yeah, so I, I do hope that um, that more of it can be reopened again. I, I think it's um, 
it's so important to Aucklanders, especially at this time with um, COVID COVID nineteen, when we we haven't had, we need to get out. People need to get out, and they won't be able to travel overseas. They want to have more access locally, and unfortunately, um, at the same time as closing the Waitakere, so many other tracks have been closed. Like in the city, they they seem to have closed tracks for not only Kauri dieback, but um, for track maintenance. So it's almost like that everything's sort of closing in and there's nowhere to go. And I think it's just so important for people. Mm. I mean, if I, I mean, you said that you feel like you've run every trail in the Waitakere ranges. I mean, what's your favourite part? Well, we, we used to do um, the Hillary Trail, but we also did circuits where we'd go to the um, the Kauri um, um, Park, oh, I've escaped my name, and, do a, uh, uh, and run, uh, do a circuit to Piha and then go all the way back and... Um, Yes, I'm. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't remember the exact track names. I no, I'm it's okay. Sort of thing, but that we've done all sorts of circuits um, and and um, going deep into the bush and then round again, and also going up to the dams and um, and of course I love that um, Fotapu area and uh, the tracks around there. Yeah, it, it is such a special part, isn't it? Of of mm. I mean of. Whenever I ran the Hillary Trail, I would always have to pinch myself that I was still in Auckland and mm. and that I could be in so many diverse landscapes and parts of nature on one day. Yes. Well, I mean, it's um, we're just so fortunate to have it. It's just um, having that wild environment in such a variety and also, we were always so proud of the incredible training we'd get out there because, you know, you you have to go up and down hills and um, through mud and rocks and all variety of things. And in fact, one time when I was a tail in Charlie, um, we were um, behind some people who had come from Australia, and I don't think they'd studied the map very closely. <laughs> when we Just before we got to Piha, they said, surely that's that's the end of all the hills. And uh, we're there <laughs> They were in for a rude shock. Yeah, that's right. And actually I met them again, uh, or one of them again, when I did the um, Old Ghost Road this year. And it was so funny, you know, you're sort of running along in a race in the dark and this woman came up to me, I she must have recognised me, and she said, oh, I thank you so much for those potatoes I gave you. You, um, I was one of the Australians that you met on the Hillary Trail. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd become addicted to um, ultras after that. Wow. Well, it's, it's either a killer or a cure, isn't it, really? <laughs> Right, yeah. Must have been those potatoes. Yeah, exactly. They're pretty good. What's mm. your secret recipe? Um, well, I just used to boil them up and have them with salt, actually, which is, Perfect. it depends on the potatoes. It's all dependent on the right potatoes. Yeah, yeah. and But just that mix of carbs and salt is exactly what you need at a certain point yeah. in any race, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you get a bit sick of all that sweet stuff. You sure do. What is mm. what is it about? 
Why is it so important? And you kind of answered this, but I, I just wanted to explore a bit more. But why is it so important for us, particularly now, I guess, to be in nature, to be connected to the earth and the way that trail running helps us do? Um, well, I, I think people have really rediscovered that um, in the lockdown because there wasn't a lot else to do. And you'd see so many people out walking and um, doing things with their families and I think, and also you want the young, younger generation to um, learn about parks and get off their screens and, and you know, um, discover these um, wild areas that have all this beautiful forests and, and bush. And, and um, because they're the ones that we want to encourage to look after, after it in the future as well. Mm. And we want these people to be young and fit as well and um, to be able to push themselves a bit beyond mm. their, you know, their every day. I mean, it would be fair enough to say that you probably experienced a childhood of, childhood of adventures well, that's correct, but we—I mean, we did do a lot of um, outdoor things. So, um, because my father, my parents were both—you know—they love the out of doors, and um, my father was, well, his job, well, one of his jobs was to test camping equipment. So, we had to be the victims, and we'd be going out, <laughs> you know, in the middle of winter, testing some oh. new lining for it. For a tent to keep us warm that would fall down or something, yeah. So, um, <laughs> and, and but also they just um, and we when we went to America in 1962 when I was um, very young, um, we went on a on a tr- trip um, around all the national parks and my parents were absolutely ter- determined that we would never stay in one motel or hotel the entire time. So that's sort of three months of camping and oh it was great fun so always it was always made to be fun so you know um it was easy to enjoy it I guess if it's part I mean like you said by the time you'd come along you know this was just a part of your life right it wasn't like a, a a light bulb moment may I ask um what do you think your father would have made of ultra running um, well, I think he, I'm sure he could have related to it because, um, you know, climbing mountains has got to be ultra climbing, isn't it? So really big mountains. So I think he could completely relate to pushing yourself um, that far. And and because, I mean, of course, when you're out there, you see the most, you get to the most amazing places and see the most amazing things and you um, see um, people's behaviour in a completely different context and can appreciate people quite differently. You know, that sort of um, really trusting people when you go on a really long adventure with people that, that you know, a, a kind of thing doesn't happen unless you really push yourself a bit. And, yeah, so I think he would have really understood. I think you're right that, well, of course you're right, <laughs> that um, that sense of adventure that comes with trail running, that, I mean, if I'm if I'm honest, I'll admit that I'm at heart a scaredy cat and <laughs> always have been. And ultra running, you know, training with friends, but also events sort of push me and they make me push myself and do things that if it was up to me, I'd chicken out of. Um, so they've got they've got quite an important function, haven't they? 
well, the, the sport has, yeah. That's right, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine um, doing a lot of the uh, the runs that I've I've done if I hadn't been sort of encouraged by other people and or they were a, available as a, a race. You, you wouldn't necessarily get out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not necessarily a, a in in our modern world a, a natural thought. Oh, I'll run eighty kilometres unless you, you know, other people were doing it or there was some sort of attraction to it. Hey. Yeah. No, that's right. Well, he... But um, I, I must say, I mean, I, I've really enjoyed the events, but um, I've also really enjoyed the, the so-called training runs that yeah. I've done with my friends. We've done, you know, just run something like we ran the Milford track one time and um, and it's just the most incredible experience um, doing that. So you're not rushing. Of course, you do want to get to the end eventually, but um, it you know, those things are, are really fun as well. Mm. And even just circling back to, you know, you're talking about going on those runs with the head torch that doesn't work quite well and, it, it, you know, it's it's all, I mean, it's, you know, everything's on a scale, isn't it? But those, it's those little moments of adventure in themselves and they create the memories that we, that make us happy. Yes. And, I mean, inevitably after doing something like that, you do feel um full of life and, um, yeah, just so alive. I'm so happy that you actually went out there and did it. I think there was only one time where I wasn't happy and that was um, it was actually um, where I nearly got exposure and on One Tree Hill. So, um, And I was running with the girls on top and it was pouring with rain. It was cold, wintry weather. And I was just wearing this, you know, short, short sleeve top didn't manage to get all my clothes on in time. So, yeah, that that time I was absolutely freezing and just had to be sent sent back to the car. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> to, think, to think of all the adventures you've been on and you get exposure at, at One Tree Hill. I know. I could see the, the you know, the headline news. <laughs> it was just so humiliating. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it, in this case the family name might, you know. <laughs> no. Do a good he- headline for those who don't know. One Tree Hill is a is a it's not a large mountain in uh, central Auckland that used to have a, a tree on it. So it's what's called One Tree yeah. Hill. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, how's your work? Um, I mean, one of the things I was excited to talk to you about was your work as an art conservator. I mean, how did you? And I understand that wasn't initially your first calling or um, well, I, I um, did science and um, art history at university, um, and then I um, heard about conservation um, because there was a, a, a new conservator at the Auckland Art Gallery, and I um, did some volunteering there, and then I managed to get into the um, a course in Australia. And oh, it's, I think it's it's been the most wonderful career. I, I've really enjoyed it, and I really enjoy working in the, in the arts. It's you know fascinating people, and um, it's really important. Culture is really important to um, our well-being, and um, so I'm I'm glad to be part of that. So it's quite nice having that contrast trust between the um, trail running and and the arts, and in fact. For many years, I was considered quite athletic at the gallery, even though um, I'm not really, you know, a major athlete. But 
I think they they all thought I was absolutely crazy doing these long runs anyway. Hmm. It sort of bridge bridge the gap between the two worlds, which yeah. aren't which aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, goodness me. Oh. Uh, how, and how have you carried on your work? I mean, do you do it remote through lockdown, or do you is your work largely sort of administrative now? Um, no, I was very lucky because I had a writing project to do over lockdown, and so it was just brilliant because I had lots of time to think about it and um, do this writing, which would have been quite difficult to manage if I'd been back at the um, at the gallery. And then more recently, um, some of the some of the staff have gone back, uh, only a few, um, but like with conservation, because we really need to be working hands on with the object. Um, some of us have gone back early, and then there's some also uh, some other people doing an installation of an exhibition. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. I guess so, you can't just grab it and take it home, can you? It's, no. It's, not, no. <laughs> no, it's a little bit tricky. I don't mean to be flippant, but yeah. Yeah. So it's been a little weird being in the gallery with hardly anyone there, and we're all sort of isolated. And, um, but no it's, it's, it, no, it's been good to be able to you know, touch the artwork again and get on with things. Really good. I think, I mean, it lets, sorry, Eugene, I think it lends, it's been an interesting process, hasn't it? I know with Eugene and I, he's largely stayed home working and I've gone to work every day working. And it's 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 a strange sense of being out in the world with not many other people. Yes. Well, I imagine, um, Yes, I imagine it must have been quite weird if you were going into work every day. <laughs> it was, certainly was. Yeah. But, Sorry. Um, no, I think I think it's been a, a real, uh, very interesting, um, you know, situation, and I just hope that we can learn something good out of it, you know, get something good out of it and make some change to the way we operate. That would be good. Absolutely. And also learn to value those things that are truly special, aren't they? And and yeah, like you say, art has a very important part in that as well. Yes. And um it's just been it was, you know, one of it was lovely. Um there was a lot of art that was on the um internet and I think they did a really good job with that. Um, but it was so refreshing to have no shopping or virtually no shopping for a, a little yeah. while. I think that was you know, it just wasn't an option. Yeah, we could all do with less shopping. It it, yes. it must be incredible to be involved in, in restoring and rescuing pieces as you have done over the years. Do you have a favourite? Um, no, my favourites change regularly and um, just depending on, you know, what I'm looking at at the moment. And... Um, I have, I mean, I did spend, um, I did have a wonderful project um, last year, which um, is still a bit of a favourite of mine, which was, it was called the 19 Gallery, and it basically, it was related to the Francis Hodgkins exhibition, mm-hmm. um, which was a huge exhibition of um, Frances Hodgkins, who was an expat, well, she lived, she was from New Zealand, but she lived in Europe most of her adult life, and um she died in the 1940s and was born in the 1860s. So, um, but when she was alive, there was um, an idea to raise money for the, the blind. And this ma- this um, curator made a miniature gallery and he invited all the 
the main the modernists um, at the time to to give a work to put in this little gallery, and we wanted to have it for the show, but we couldn't borrow it. So I um, suggested that we made our own little gallery and invited New Zealand artists to contribute to the exhibition, and they did that, and it was it's the most beautiful little show. Fantastic. So wow. all these little works. So I mean, I can. I can send you the link to the photos if you want to have a look. Oh, yes, oh please. please do. Yeah, and we'll put that yeah. in our show notes for people to have a look at. Yeah. yeah. You've also been involved in, in repairing canvases and so on over the years and some yeah. some that have been damaged through theft. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, I, I A long time ago now, I was involved um, when the – the painting by James Tiso, which was called Still on Top, was stolen from the gallery. Mm. And wow. Yeah. So, um, which was, it was a real shame because it was in really good condition, the painting. But um, the man who stole it, he um, took it, he threw it on the floor face down and all the glass broke through the, the canvas. And then he sort of ripped it, jimmied it out of the frame and then, stuffed it in a sack and dro- drove off in a motorbike. And anyway, it um, got badly damaged. So it was a very interesting project that I worked on with my colleague, Nell Roll. And um, we spent a couple of years just, um, you know, staring at it, mm. <laughs> working, working slowly at it. And it's, But it's often on display now. It's a real favourite. It has, um, it worked out, you know, very well considering I'm looking at it now. I've not seen the painting, but I'm thank thank goodness for Al Gore's internet. I'm um, I'm, oh. I'm 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 looking at the painting now. It's just fantastic. It hardly seems, and it hardly seems in the sort of the stereotypical mode of, you know, what what movies tell us about art thieves, does it? So, you see, no, it's not being sophisticated. Um, no, very hard to sell it, I think, in that condition. And anyway, I think, you know, with with um, it's very difficult to sell stolen art anyway. So I think people often don't think about that. Mm. Yeah, can't go and trade me with that. No, <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's what people do. Mm. Imagine that. You want to buy a basket? No, I'm good. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, Sarah, I mean, you've, I mean. Can we talk about Nepal? I mean, you've had a oh. again, you've you've had a very strong, deep connection to the country, and are you still involved through charity with? Um, well, I feel like I will always be involved in, with Nepal. It's sort of a connection that ca- it cannot be broken, really, because mm. of the family um, connection with it. My parents, you know, spending so long there, and and their their friends, and 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 my. My brother and sister, we, you know, we spent time, a lot of time there. And, um, no, I enjoy going back. And um, I think it's wonderful what the Himalayan Trust has achieved. And we've actually been, um, the local people approached um, my brother and I about um, restoring the original schoolhouse that was built built in 1961 or 1960, and um, turning it into a visitor centre or sort of museum. And so we're very keen to make that happen, um, just to celebrate 
the work that was done by New Zealanders over there and also the huge achievements um, of the local people and what they've what they've managed to do. I mean, many of them have gone from that tiny, you know, little school and gone on to do amazing things and all sorts of um, professions and careers. So it really is very impressive. So is that is that a project that's begun yet or...? Um, well, yes, there has been some funding, fundraising been, been done, but unfortunately now that um, we've had a pandemic, it really has put things backwards. Mm. And so we'll just have to see how we go with that. Um, but hopefully we can um, get it going again soon. But I've also, I mean, I have been back to Nepal quite a few times with friends and we've done all sorts of amazing um, treks. Um, which I've really enjoyed, but I've never had the slightest interest in running over there because I think when I'm at high altitude, um, it's just so exhausting. I think walking is enough for me. But I know that Sean was going to do some huge event running the Himalayas, 300. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What What is it like being – I mean, I've, I've, I've experienced um, a little bit of altitude, but not to that height. What is it like? Walking at that altitude, how you know how can you how do you how do you describe it? What it's like? Um, well, I think everyone um, reacts differently, but a majority of people get very short of breath um, when they're up very high over four thousand meters, and then over five thousand meters. Um, there's just not so much oxygen, and so um, you just I suppose it's sort of like would be like having a chest infection or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, you'll be walking. You just have to go very slowly because you can't afford to get puffed because you, there's just nothing there. So you just, if you keep walking slowly, um, then you can, you know, you can keep going. And, of course, over time when you're up there for long enough, you get you get better adjusted. So, um you should get better, and certainly mountaineers, when they stay there for months, they get much better. But, of course, once they go, then they go higher and um, they have the problem again. But it is just so exhausting. And, um, yeah, and I think some people get quite frightened by it so um, and can sort of panic a bit. But um, it's, it's absolutely fine, but you just have to take it slowly, that's all. Uh, uh, Ruth Croft um, talked to. She did the Manaslu circuit um, oh. for a week, and 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 talked about you know again she's a a, a world a world class athlete and just the extraordinary effects that the altitude had on her body. Um, seems like such a like you said an unforgiving environment if you if you panic or make a mistake. Yes, well, um, I I think. Um, Apparently, it's very bad. Um, it's very wearing on your muscles as well. So, um, you know, that's people can't stay up there too long because they lose a lot of muscle bone. And um, but um, yeah, no, it is it is dangerous. But on the other hand, and you do need to listen to all the information they give you about how far you go up and whether you you can't ignore any you know signs that you're not adjusting properly. Because my father had a terrible time in the end. I think um, there was the expedition, I think it was 1961, he actually 
he ended up having some sort of pulmonary edema. And after that, after that trip, he always would have problems if he went up highs and it got sort of lower and lower eventually. Um, so, and, and the people die every year of altitude sickness, so you do have to be careful. But um, it's so beautiful up there. It's really worth going there. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, and I guess at the moment, like it, it would be, I mean, we've we've all seen those photos of, of of Everest, and I think there's that one famous one that looks like a, a looks like a line waiting to get to pack and save, essentially, isn't it? Because it's yeah. these people dotted right down the mountain. Yeah. I bet it's very much like when you when um, your father in Tenzing Norgay climbed Everest. Mm. There's no one there, <laughs> or not the people That's who are the, who the people who live there live there, but yeah. yeah. I know. Well, there's lots of other amazing mountains too. So it'd be great if people climbed other mountains. But um, I suppose that they've just got this obsession with Everest. I mean, I wonder, and I don't know if this is, I'm not posing this question to you. I wonder what the, what adventure tourism or recreation or the sport looks like post pandemic you know with travel and and everything like that will it go back to the same sort of almost that level of madness really isn't it all these people striving for this one thing and it seems Mm -hmm. like would you would you take that on board if it was a procession or Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm not sure if if I even have a point (laughs) forgive me well I I mean I'm hoping that um, we'll have this lovely time where we I can only travel in New Zealand, and what a wonderful opportunity. It's fantastic. It's such a wonderful country, and um, I know everyone's dying to get out and do things. So I think, yeah, that's just going to be fantastic. What's a what's one special place that you'd recommend in New Zealand for for somebody to go and have a bit of an adventure and, and maybe see somewhere that they wouldn't necessarily think of? Well, I normally would have said the Waitakere's, but that's a bit out of. It's a bit hard to do that. Yeah. But I, but I also, I mean, I love going back um, down south to the Rootburn and um, the Cables and and all those all all those areas, the Milford. I mean, they're just so stunning. They're just incredible and. Such a lovely area. Yeah, and and now with with no international visitors there. I mean, when I yeah. went to when I went to Milford, it was just yeah. it was so busy. But now it would be perfect to be there. Be perfect. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's good for the country too. So if people go and um, stay in these places, it'll be good for so people can um, you know get their businesses going again. Yes, absolutely. But- I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about the the notion of, of not just the fact that we're benefiting from it, but we're actually helping to kind of grow our economy and 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 oh, reinject, no. you know, reinject and th- and reinfuse the brilliant stuff that we do have here. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but when I when I, during lockdown I was just dreaming of going out to, you know, Pihar or. Anawata or something, you know, just I, my dreams were sort of reduced down to that seemed to be the most amazing thing. So I'm hoping to do that very soon. <laughs> you know, just wow. going to some little place just seemed incredible. So, 
we we had the good fortune of going to Tehinga on the weekend because um, it's, oh. it's it's local to us, and um, goodness, it was busy. It was the busiest I've ever seen it. Um, wow. So hope, which is at once a good thing, but also a little bit confronting. You know, if you, you you're used to having, and we're very lucky, aren't we? We're used to having just all this kind of wide open space. But mm-hmm. gosh, there there were lots of people who had the same idea. <laughs> yeah. I had the same experience. Oh, well, I mean, some of there are some new tracks open, like the White's track, and um, so I think people have. That's quite handy. Where's that? That's the one that goes from um, uh, Pihar up to the Anawata Road. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, it's quite, it goes through a sort of Nikar Grove. I think there's another named track just at the beginning, and then it goes up from a stream up to the um, Anawata Road. And then you can go down the other way along the Laird Thompson track. I think I'm the only one of my close trail running friends that hasn't done the Hillary, the whole Hillary trail. And, oh. um, yeah, just, uh, it's just one of those things that I either didn't have the confidence to do or never got around to. And it's, it's certainly something that I'm rearing to go and rearing to yeah. as soon as I'm able to do it. Yeah. yeah. I'll take Amazing. you there. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, a, that's a date. <laughs> that's a date. Yeah. Um, although it's, I mean, it's gonna, it's, of course, it will change because of the the upgrading of trails and so on that has that has to go on to protect the trees. So, but I, yeah, I can't wait to to get back on back, get back on those mm. trails and get out there. And I mean, I'm even driving of Riverhead, and it's only from where I'm sitting. It's what a couple of kilometres as the crow flies, isn't it, Matt? Um, it is. But just to be able to get out there again, I can't wait. Uh, yeah. Again, it comes back to that appreciation of things that we have missed so much. But Sarah, look, we, we've kept you for, for too long um, and we really appreciate having you on. But I think you know the question that's going to come your way now. It's one that we ask everyone that comes on. But that's, Sarah Hillary, what is your greatest run ever? Oh. Well, it's, it's hard to answer that because, um, you know, I've had, I had some very good runs. But I think the th- the thing that always makes them particularly special is um, the pe- you know the people that you're running with and the people who are involved. And so, I mean, I did the Mototapu Ultra with Barbarella and that was just incredible. And then I did the old Ghost Road with um, Marianne and, and I had my amazing sport team of Min and Louise and um, Simon. But, but – I think the, it's often the one that was the an early one that really stands out. And for me, that was um, running 70 kilometres kilometers of the Hillary Trail um, with um, my friend Lena. And it was one of the Huia Road bush runners used to have a annual run of the Hillary Trail. It was sort of an unofficial kind of support, supported. And they would come along with their water and um, and some food and be around. And Lena and Lena decided that she really wanted to do it. She had very re- rarest reasons that she wanted to do it. And I I thought that I would support her, but I wasn't totally convinced. I wasn't had never considered of doing anything as long as that. And um, so I said I would just join her for as long as possible. 
But then we did a training run before that, and I was talking to this man about the right attitude to running the trail, and he said, look, you've got to commit totally to doing it, and or otherwise you just won't do it. So anyway, I thought, okay. And so Lena and I, we were going to do it. And um, we ran it, ran it together, and um, – it, you know, we were, had wonderful support from another a friend, Hui, and and it was hard. It was really hard. And when when I felt woozy and terrible, Lena would be fine. So I'd think, oh, I'm going to keep going, and we just kept going. Um, and then at at Fotapu, um, a friend Brian joined us, who was very fresh, and he helped us, and you know, just kept us talking and on track. And um, we, I thought I wouldn't be running at the end. I thought I'd be sort of dragging myself to the mm-hmm. end. But um, actually, we were, we were running. We felt we started feeling really good towards the end. Funny that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, and it was so wonderful because we got to the end. It was dark. I think it was sort of like nine o'clock at night, and a whole bunch of the Huia Road bushrunner people were still there, just waiting for us. And gave us big hugs and cheered. And I, I don't know, it was just the most amazing thing. It was just such an incredible achievement. And it wouldn't have been the same if they hadn't been there. It was just so lovely. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, fantastic. Yeah. And again, you know, it's how much of running is about other people. It's such a, yeah. you know, people always talk about the loneliness of the long distance runner and all that, which is to me a load of nonsense. It's the, it's the, the beauty of those friendships and those connections and the, the joy that we get of being with others and sharing those moments. Yeah. Yeah. No, Look, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. It's been wonderful to talk to you and I'm hopeful that you can get out um, to Piha soon. Hopefully, yeah. the, this weekend maybe if it's not <laughs> if, if not too many people have the same idea, but yeah. um, gosh, enjoy and yeah, thank you very very much. Oh, well, lovely to talk to you, and I um, hope you enjoy, get some good runs in soon too. Thank you um, so much. I, yeah, absolutely, thank you very much. I was really nervous right through that whole thing. Oh, we both were, weren't we? We both were. And but she was so such a great person to talk to and you could imagine how what a great trail companion she would be. Oh, just and it's hard not to you know like as as a child growing up in New Zealand of that time just how famous the Hillary name was is. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and not to and not to kind of reduce it either. I mean, her dad's on the money. <laughs> That's right, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he actually is on our five dollar note. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and just, yet she's so so down to earth, so lovely, and you, you could imagine whiling away many 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 hours as absolutely as, you know friends who she described have got to share those moments on the trail with her, and and what a delight, and it was an absolute pleasure to be able to share that time chatting with her. So thank you, yeah. Sarah. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. We're on email, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, whichever yep. ones you want. 
You can download Absolutely. direct from the website, dirtchurchradio.com. Yep. And if <laughs> oh, it's the lockdown, Larry's getting a bit faded. Uh, if you're not where you want us to be, <laughs> let us know. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. And if you like what you see, please spread the love. It would be as great as if many people heard the show as possible. And for that, we need your help. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, Spring Energy, Cielli. And thank you to our Patreon supporters and Wild Things and Vert Run. Thanks to our editor, Kieran. Um, we've got some great guests lined up. And we sure do. Tune in next week. Kakite. Kakite. Thanks, Rippy. <laughs> <laughs>